Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people, loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. Transitioning, uh, we've been in this series. Um, we had a great week last week. If you were with us at the Y, uh, we celebrated baptism of Michael, who's back on our soundboard today. Uh, hey, Michael. Um, serving you, serving the church, serving the mission of God. And we celebrated that new life that baptism represents through him. And um, talked about, Stephen had a message about second chances. How God is the God of second chances. How he offers us another chance. How his grace continues to come to us time and time again. And so kind of along those lines, um, today we're going to be talking about unconditional love. Uh, because it's God's unconditional love for us that really the rest of these all kind of come out of. See, these, these values we have up on the screen, unconditional love, family, second chances, celebration, service, prayer, and you, uh, these aren't just haphazard things we just decided we're going to preach on a sermon series and we need some good topics to talk about. No, these are, these are our core values for our church. And if you were with us the first week, you heard Stephen kind of talk about the story a little bit, uh, about how these developed in, in a board session uh, where our leadership team got together and they thought about what it is that, defines this church, what has defined this church since its inception, uh, and where it is we're going, uh, and what it is God has called us to do, and who he's called us to be. And so this is, this is our core DNA, if you will. This is what makes Wapak Naz Wapak Naz. Because God is unconditional love, we too are to be unconditionally loving to other people. Now this doesn't mean that, you know, uh, we have no preference on the way they act, and we, we allow people to walk all over us and, and treat others poorly or whatever because we're just called to love them. No, that's not what it means. Unconditional love calls us to a deep commitment, though. It causes us and calls us to be ingrained and embedded in their lives, tethered together, almost so much so that it becomes uncomfortable. Because when they hurt, we hurt. When they suffer, we suffer. Because we're so invested and so connected and so tied together that you can't pull us apart. And so we're going to talk about unconditional love today and what God has called us to do. First thing I want to say is God's unconditional love leads us to love others unconditionally. God is the example first. God shows us what it means first. He doesn't just ask us to do something he hasn't done. No, that's, that's not leadership. Leadership means I'm going to do it, and then you do as I do. And so God's unconditional love leads us to love others unconditionally. He shows us this. We can see an example here in John 13, 34 through 35. This is Jesus' words to the disciples, and he says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
Do you think that love is pretty important in that passage right there? He says it like five times. Jesus says, hey, I need you to do something for me, guys. I need you to love each other. And I'm like, Jesus, yeah, like we've been hanging out with each other. We love each other. He's like, no, no, no. Like, I need you to love each other. Be invested. Be embedded in each other's lives. Be so tethered together that you can't pull each other apart. That if, if, if Peter's doing something ridiculous over here, that Simon is, is or, or, or uh, the John is feeling upset about it. Love one another. And then he says, as I have loved you. Meaning Jesus has already exampled it. He's already showed him what to do. He's already displayed his goodness. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. See, God's unconditional love leads us. It leads us to love unconditionally. Hey, so uh, several years ago, um, I was introduced to something, uh, a, a TV channel that really expanded my horizons on the content that's out there on TV today. And my wife's going to grumble right now as I flip to this next screen. It's called the Game Show Network. <laughs> and I love game shows. I love them. The Price is Right, Jeopardy, Wheel of Fortune, and the Game Show Network expanded my horizons to all this not as new content. We won't call it old content. How's that work? Not as new content. Stuff like... Uh, uh, Whose line is it, or not whose line is it, what's my line? $10,000 Pyramid. Yeah, all these great old shows, Card Sharks, uh, these great game shows that dominated the prime time uh, in the early days of television. Game shows were one of the most popular forms of formatted TV in the early days of television. Um, and people had this chance to go on, and, and they could kind of live in that celebrity moment for a little bit. But I love these game shows. Um, and so the Game Show Network came around, and it expanded my horizons, and I'm looking at all these new shows, and I'm watching them. And then eventually what the Game Show Network started doing, uh, as they bought up a whole bunch of old TV shows content, they, they were playing all the reruns of, of all these shows, uh, they decided, well, we need to expand, right? And we need to start creating some of our own shows. And so they started coming up with some of their own uh, game shows. And some of them weren't very good, and some of them were reboots of old ones. Like, uh, what was the old uh, The new show was called Whammy. What was the old one called with a little... Creatures? I don't Press Your Luck. That's the, that's the name of it. Press Your Luck. So the old one was Press Your Luck, and then the new one was Whammy. So they reinvented some of them. And, uh, but one of the shows, and, and, and I'm going to confess something here um, because I'm not super proud of it, but one of the ones that captured my attention, uh, and I found myself watching um, and watching and watching and, and not being able to turn away because it was something like a train, train wreck, was a show called Baggage. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And Baggage was hosted by Jerry Springer. Yes, that Jerry Springer. <laughs> and if you're not familiar with the content of Baggage, it was something along the lines of a typical dating game show, right? You've got Bachelorette over here, and then you've got Bachelors number one, two, and three over here, right? But the Bachelorette could see all the Bachelors. She was able to, to see them and, and judge them by their physical appearance, and so she knew who she wanted to, to go out with a date. Uh, that was the whole content. But what happened was, as each round progressed, what they had to do was the contestants had to reveal something about themselves or about their past that would be considered some kind of baggage in the relationship, something negative about themselves. Uh, you know, like, I, 
bite my fingernails or, uh, and the content got more and more advanced as it went on. And some of it was obviously not safe for church. Uh, <laughs> but the content was, was there. And so the idea was, as, as I had to imagine, they were sitting around the room pitching this idea. They said, listen, here's the thing. Uh, relationships don't work out. Why don't relationships work out when, when a guy is dating a girl? Well, because what happens is after they date each other for six months, they start finding out all this stuff about each other. And then they decide, well, I, I didn't know back then that you were this way. And if I knew back then, I wouldn't have ever started dating you. And so the idea behind baggage was, well, let's just get all that dirty laundry out in the beginning. We're going to air all of it out. And then when the bachelorette decides who she wants to pick at the end, she knows all the bad stuff about him already. So she's ready to go. Their relationship's going to work. Now, I don't know what, and I don't know that they have the data for this, uh, what the percentage of relationships that were formed on the show Baggage and lasting is. I don't know how many of those relationships have lasted, uh, but I predict it's probably not a very high percentage. And I think probably everybody else predicts the same thing. Um, but the idea was, well, I can, I can see somebody's physical appearance and know like, hey, I want to I wanna date that person because they're, they're attractive. They, they look good. Uh, and I think I'll look better standing next to them, right? And so I've decided, that's, that's a little more laughter than we needed this morning, okay? That's, that wasn't, that's, let's pull that one back a little bit. Uh, and, and so what it is, though, is, is this idea, like, I, I want to know how far I need to love that person. Like, like, what do I need to love them through? Like, how bad is it going to be? And, and do I really want to love them that much? Because when you think about it on the reverse side, that's really the question you're asking. Do I love this person that much? Do I love them enough to put up with X, Y, Z? Married couples, you know what I'm talking about. Do I love them enough to deal with this habit that they have? Or deal with this past that's going to probably keep coming up because the decisions they made in their youth were bad ones? or at least a little ignorant, and now there's ramifications. Do I love them enough to move through that? And it's kind of the anti-unconditional love. It's kind of the tell me all the conditions first, then I'll decide if I want to love you through those conditions. Because unconditional love says it doesn't matter what the baggage is. I'm going to love you. Now we're switching gears from a, a dating relationship here, right, to talking about other relationships because there's a lot of there's a lot of nuance here when we talk about dating somebody and marrying somebody I'm not saying you just need to deal with all the bad stuff that somebody has in their life and, and marry them but when we're talking about the love that God calls us to in loving other people not just romantically but in relationships and friendships in in our peer-to-peer and -peer colleagues all that stuff God calls us to love unconditionally it doesn't matter the conditions it doesn't matter how bad their past was, how wrong their choices were, how neglectful they were, how inconsiderate they were. God shows us love. If you go through the New Testament and you read the stories about Jesus and the disciples, you know that the disciples had a lot of times when they kind of were knuckleheads and they didn't make the best decisions. And they didn't always love Jesus well. 
And yet Jesus said in John 13, where we just read it, that as I have loved you, love one another. And I got to believe that at some point, as these 13 guys, the 12 disciples and Jesus are traveling around the countryside and Jesus is preaching and they're getting hungry and tired from walking all day, that there are times when they fought with each other. They didn't want to hang out with each other anymore. They were sick and tired of each other. And Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. See, God's unconditional love leads us to love others, and it also enables us to love others. God's unconditional love actually allows us to be able to love other people unconditionally. Because everything I've just been talking about, you might be thinking, there's no way I can do that. That's unrealistic. There are so many bad things that people can do. How can you love them unconditionally? How can you choose to love somebody who does something so hurtful? God's unconditional love enables us. It empowers us. It fills us to love others unconditionally. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So that Christ will dwell in our hearts to the fullness of God. Let's break this down, because there's lots going on in these verses. That first line there, so Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What is that saying? He's saying, I want Jesus to fill you up. I want Jesus to inhabit your hearts, inhabit your lives, right? The heart is the place that pumps the blood, and everything else functions because the heart functions, right? Your brain functions because blood comes from your heart, and, and the synapses in your brain start firing because there's blood flowing to it. If blood stops flowing to the brain, the brain shuts off. Blood flows to your fingers and your toes to move around, to pick up things, to do things, to work. If blood stops flowing to those things, then guess what? They're useless. They have to be cut off. So he says Christ needs to dwell in your hearts through faith. That's the beginning, right? Christ has to do it. So he's enabling us. Next line, he says, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. Here again, we're talking about what does that do then? If, if Christ is dwelling in your heart, then it's time to start planting in the ground. It's time to become rooted. It's time to become, uh, have a sure foundation. Not a shallow one. One that's grabbing the ground underneath you. That's gripping onto something. I was just this week uh, doing some end of summer cleaning around our house and uh, I was cleaning out our shed on the backside of our property and I, so I pulled everything out and I was sweeping it all out and I'd seen before behind some stuff that there was a little bit of damage on the back side of the wall of my shed and so I wanted to kind of pull all this out too and kind of see how bad that damage was like what do I need to fix and so as I pulled everything out I, I kind of sweeped up the area and cleaned it up a little bit and come to find out the reason it had rotted out a little bit along the backside was because 
the tree right behind it had actually, the trunk had grown into it, and then the water had sit along the side of it there, and it had rotted out um, along the way. And then I noticed that underneath the board, so I, I have a concrete slab, and then there's a, a baseboard that runs around the perimeter of the shed. Underneath the baseboard, the root is actually starting to grow. Because the root of the tree doesn't care what's in the way. The root of the tree says, I need to grab onto something strong. The tree says, I need to live, so I'm going to dig and grab wherever I can dig and grab. But sometimes in our walk as believers, we see an obstacle and we say, well, I guess I won't go that way. And we try to deter somewhere else. Rather than saying, nope, here's where I am. I'm going to plant. I'm going to dig. I'm going to invest. I'm going to pour myself into the soil so that I may be rooted and established in love. Why do we need to be rooted and established in love? So that you may have power. Not just you, but all of God's people. So that you may have power and everybody else who believes in God may have power. Why do we need power? So that we can grasp, understand, so that we can come to a knowledge and a comprehension of just how wide and long and how high and deep the love of Christ is, right? You remember that old children's church song if you grew up in the church? Deep and wide, deep and wide, there's a fountain flowing deep and wide. There was the motions for it. I always got them backwards, right? But what he's saying is we need to be able to understand this. We need to grasp. Like, like just for a second, stop and think about it. Like we just were contemplating there when we were singing the goodness of God and Debbie was sharing her story with us. How big is this love? Like we talk about God's got big love. We talk about God being a loving God, but, but what does that mean? How, like how, how deep is that love? Because here again, if we're going off of our normal habits, the examples we have are going to be earthly examples. And we're going to measure that love of God based off of what we know love to be in our life. See where I'm going with this? So if you have, in your experience in your life, by virtue of the family you grew up in or whatever, a very shallow experience with love, where love doesn't mean a whole lot, and love doesn't afford you a lot, then our understanding of God's love, well, God's love is probably bigger than that, but I'm still only going about this big, right? He's saying, no, no, no. Like, you need to understand that, that God's love isn't just a little bit bigger than the love you've experienced in your life. Because it doesn't matter what level of love you've experienced in this life, God's love is bigger than it. It's deeper than it. It's wider than it. It's longer than it. It surpasses all knowledge. And when we understand that, he says, so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, help me out here, because I didn't do good with measurements and numbers. Uh, fractions were not my friend in school. But how much is the measurement of a container that's full? Right? It depends on the size of the container, right? 
But if you're going to use a, a percentage for it, you're going to say it's a full container is 100% full, right? It's full. There's no other room in there for anything else. So it's not saying so that you may be filled with a little bit of God's love. So that you can begin to experience who God is a little bit. So that you can feel a little bit good in your life. He's saying, no, no, no. When we let God dwell in our hearts, when we understand the importance of establishing ourselves, rooting ourselves in love with God, with our Creator, what that then does is it allows us to understand how deep God's love is because our roots are growing with Him. And then it allows us to understand that God's love wants to fill us all the way up. Not halfway, not three quarters, not five eighths, not whatever fraction you want to give it. That you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now here again, it's not saying the measure of the fullness of your capacity to do love. It's the fullness of God. You're being filled with the power and the fullness of God, not of Matthew. So God's love leads us, his unconditional love leads us to love others unconditionally because he examples it for us. And then it enables us because he fills us with his spirit. He fills us with his power, his capacity to do good. So we can do good things in places where Matthew doesn't want to do good things there. Matthew wants to see bad things happen there because they've been bad and they deserve bad. And that's what is due then. But God's love says, no, 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 no. When you're filled with my love, you love even the bad, even the painful, even the Taliban. No, that's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for me to say it. It's not in my notes. I didn't write saying that. I just felt the Spirit telling me to say that. That you may be filled with the measure of God means you love your enemy. Doesn't mean you don't necessarily fight against them. Doesn't mean you don't call them to correction and to do right. But it means you love them. Because you realize and you recognize that if God loves you this much, and it's this deep and this wide and this high and this long, that God's love surpasses all knowledge and understanding that, man, it must even be extended to them. It must be enough even for them. And that's wild. And that's radical. And it comes through faith, trust in who Christ says he is. So God's unconditional love leads us to love others unconditionally. It enables us to, leave, to love others unconditionally. And it sustains us in loving others unconditionally. It keeps us going. Because let's face it, in these circumstances we're talking about, it can be pretty exhausting to love unconditionally. It can be pretty exhausting to love somebody who continually rejects your love, who continually pushes your love away or acts like your love is 
some uh, vain attempt at, at you trying to control them or whatever, right? We, we, we have all these ways that people try to manipulate love. But God's unconditional love sustains us and allows us to continue to love even when we've been hurt, even when we've been rejected, even when we've been told, man, stop talking about that Jesus stuff. I don't want none of that. I'm good. My, I'm good. Like, my life is okay. I, I'm fine without that. Like, I'm glad religion worked for you. I'm glad you found Jesus, all that kind of stuff. Like, your life's better. Right, great. But I, I, I don't need that stuff. Like, I've figured out my life well enough. I've, I've learned how to adjust myself. God's unconditional love sustains us even in those moments to say, I know you don't see the value in it. I know you don't see the, the purpose in this love of God, but I'm going to continue to pour myself into you and ask the Lord to open your eyes to the truth of his love for you and how it can transform you and change you. 1 John 3.16 says this, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. What does that mean? What does laying down your life mean? Romans talks about it. It says, make yourselves a living sacrifice. What does that mean? I don't understand that concept. And you know why we don't understand that concept? Because here again, there's nothing in our culture that mirrors that for us. That's countercultural. That's not the way we do life. By and large. We're not sacrificial to the point that it literally costs us everything very often. There are a select few groups of people um, and circumstances where we see that mirrored and exampled. But on a day-to-day, walking down the street, how many times do you see somebody living like a sacrifice? Better yet, flip that objective research and say, man, I don't see anybody living like a sacrifice out here in Wapak. How many times are you walking around like a living sacrifice? Bleeding for other people. Pouring yourself out for other people sacrificing your physical body, your time, your resources, your intellect, your capital, whatever it is that you've got, are you sacrificing it? Have you laid it on the altar and said, God, it's yours. It was yours to begin with. You gave it to me, but it's, it's yours. Help me to use it to love other people. Help me to do it, to use it, to to love people the way that you have loved me. Christ exampled it for us. And Christ gave up his physical body, but there's so much else going on in the the sacrifice of Jesus in the crucifixion story than Jesus dying a physical death. Jesus sacrificed a lot more than just his physical life because Jesus could have had everything. Jesus could have been the king of the Jews. Jesus could have been the king over the world. 
Satan tempted him in, in Matthew chapter 4. You can read about the temptation story of Jesus. Right after he was baptized, Jesus went into the desert for 40 days, and Satan came and tempted him and gave him all these opportunities to become powerful and strong. All these opportunities to not sacrifice himself. And Jesus turned them all away because he knew his mission and because he knew you and he loved you unconditionally. I said, man, I, 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 I've got to do this. There's, there's not another option. Sin has so entangled the human condition. It's, it's distorted the heart of, of the goodness that God created humans to be that the only way for us to fix this, I, I've got to go to the cross. I have to die. I have to be a sacrifice. And so when Jesus offered up his body physically, he also offered up all of his prowess and power that he had. All of his position, all of his stature. I mean, Jesus was crucified next to thieves and he was sentenced to be crucified because the crowd cheered for a murderer to be set free instead of him Jesus's whole public perception was destroyed in a matter of minutes and Jesus not only allowed for it but he moved into it he pressed into that moment knowing it was what was required of him so if God's power, God's love for us leads us to unconditionally love others, and if God's love for us enables us, it fills us up and empowers us to love others unconditionally, and God's love sustains us when we try to love others unconditionally, what is stopping us from loving others unconditionally? stopping you from loving others unconditionally God's exampled it he's given us the strength to do it and he's given us the strength to keep doing it even when we're rejected what is stopping you from loving others unconditionally now I'm not going to call any out I'm just going to say the only thing that stops me from loving others unconditionally is me it's my own ego, my own fears, my own worry about what will this mean for my, my position? What will this mean if, if people reject me for this? What will this mean if, if it causes instability in the public? And how will that impact my children? How will that impact my wife? All these fears. What will it mean if I stand up for what I believe is righteous and good and holy and true, but it costs me my financial position? How will I afford things? How will that impact my family? Those are the questions that stop me from loving others unconditionally. And none of those are good excuses. They're all real. They're all true fears that I have, and maybe you share some of those too. But none of those are good excuses because that's what they are, excuses to limit God. It's like we go back to that Ephesians passage and we say, God, I, I, I want to love 
unconditionally. So fill me to halfway full. So that I don't feel like I have to go all that way. Like, I, I like doing some good things. I, I'll go volunteer at Mercy, or I'll go do this service project, or I'll go do something nice for somebody. I'll, I'll pay for the guy behind me who's getting coffee. Like, that's a great thing, right? Wonderful. But when we ask for the fullness of God, God requires full act from us. If you want to know God in his fullness... Be prepared to get uncomfortable because he's going to push you in places you don't want to be. He's going to put you in relationships you don't want to be in. He's going to force you to have conversations you don't want to have because he's calling you to something deeper and better and he's calling you to participate with him in the redemption of the world. See, that's the, that's the big plan here, right? This is why God loves us unconditionally. Because ever since humanity was created in the garden and God looked at man and woman and he said, man, this is good. This is good. I, I made something good here. And then sin entered the world and, and humanity became not so good because we're a bunch of sinners who continue to neglect God's goodness and choose our own way. And ever since that's happened, God has said, I need to get them back to a state of goodness. I need to make them good again. They're my creation. I want them to be good. And so that's what we're doing. That's what we get to come alongside on mission with. When we love unconditionally, we help him. Not that he needs our help, but he asks for our help. He wants our help. He wants our participation with him. Because it's God's work, but he asks us and invites us into it. But we get to participate with him in doing just that, in making people good again, in making the world good again, in giving glimpses of hope when situations are full of despair and trial and discomfort. Because of Jesus, we're saved. Because of Jesus, we're free, no longer slaves. Because of Jesus, we're alive. Because of Jesus, we love like Jesus loves. Because of Jesus, we are loved unconditionally to love others unconditionally. We didn't earn it. You don't deserve it, but he gave it to you. So what are you going to do with it? You go to the Lord and pray with me this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we sang of your goodness this morning. We sang of how powerful you are, how we can have a blessed assurance that you are mine. And God, this morning, your word has illuminated in our hearts that your love for us knows no bounds. 
And so that we don't become so self-centered or too inner way focused, God, you've reminded us that our love, your love for us knows no bounds, but your love for them knows no bounds. And it doesn't matter what adjectives we add to them. It doesn't matter what characteristics, what ideologies, what political affiliations, what orientation. God, your love for them knows no bounds. So God, may you empower us today to love others like you've loved us. May you empower us. May you encourage us. May you convict our hearts when we know we probably should have extended a little bit more love in that moment and we decided it was a little bit too uncomfortable for us. May you receive our our regret for that and may you forgive us for those moments that we missed the opportunity. But God, this morning, may your love for us cause us and call us to a deeper commitment with you. May you speak life into our bones. May you breathe into our lungs. And may our lungs be used to love others unconditionally. To love them with all of our hearts so that you may be glorified in the midst of it. Jesus, I love you. Ask that you fill us today as we go from this place. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you, keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he fill you with his spirit to love others unconditionally. And may you do just that. May you be love people, loving people to Jesus. Go in his peace today. You are dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Wapak Nas podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you. And that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.